Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Year 15 starts now, y'all. Oh my gosh. Is the show like going through its angry teenage years now? Yes. (laughs) Who's going to be the angry one on the show? Always. All of us. (laughs) (laughs) We'll start shouting. Like Order of the Phoenix, Harry. I want to stay out late. (laughs) How appropriate we're wrapping up that book today. Yes, exactly. On today's episode, we will wrap up our series of Order of the Phoenix episodes by reviewing the most critical moments of the book, what the fandom was theorizing after reading it in 2003. And we asked listeners for questions that Order of the Phoenix left open that were not ever answered. So we will try to answer some of them today, we'll just speculate because we don't have firm answers. So we'll continue to theorize. So this will be a fun episode. But first, one news item. The Harry Potter movies are already leaving HBO Max. They are leaving on August 25th. HBO Max launched in May, I believe. And there was a surprise last minute edition of the Harry Potter movies. And we were like, okay, that's cool. But they're already leaving, which is pretty stupid. They will be going to Peacock, which is NBC's new streaming platform starting in October. And they're going to be there for at least a month before then going back to traditional television airwaves. And then they're going to go back to Peacock in 2021. In other words, it's just a mess, the streaming rights for Harry Potter. And my recommendation is just stick with the DVDs or Blu-rays for now. Yeah, yeah. When this launched, we kept getting all those comments. Oh, thank gosh. Like, I, I feel so good finally having a streaming service that I can just stream Harry on. But it's really not long for any one of these services. It would definitely be frustrating for somebody if they bought the service specifically to have access to these movies. Right. And now yeah. they're moving over to Peacock. So they're back with Universal, which makes sense a little bit. But I saw them on TV the other day. I think it was the Sci-Fi Channel. So I'm just confused. (laughs) I I can't keep up anymore. You're not alone. In fact, The Verge (laughs) wrote an article titled, The Harry Potter films are headed to Peacock in a perfect example of how confusing streaming is. (laughs) And what happened was Warner sold the rights to the Harry Potter movies back in 2016. And this was before Warner was thinking of uh, creating HBO Max. And apparently NBC has the rights for the next few years. So they're going to be caught in this weird limbo for the next few years, I think, jumping from TV to, to Peacock, maybe HBO Max again. I think eventually they will settle at HBO Max. And by the way, HBO Max, if there ever is a Harry Potter TV series, that's probably where it will go. HBO Max. Right. Because they're owned by Warner Brothers. HBO. Correct. Yeah. And I think anybody who uses a streaming platform right now knows that things come and go. But the Harry Potter movies on HBO Max for only three months, that's pretty ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Right. Especially anyway. as a selling mm-hmm. point. That's not that's right. We're just we're getting to that time of year, though, where people may look for Potter in certain places because you're going back to school, maybe in some and places. back to Hogwarts, back to September Hogwarts. 1st. You go to Halloween, you get to Christmas. People like seeing these movies, particularly the first couple around the holidays. So uh, what will keep you posted on where to find them as it changes every <laughs> single day over the next few months? This is why my recommendation is to just stick with the discs. 
Also, a little show note, we would love if you reviewed us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, if they have a rating system. It helps us be discovered by new listeners, and it's been a while since we asked. And uh, this would be, you know, if you've been thinking, hey, what should I get MuggleCast for their 15th birthday? Uh, This is what we would love. If you could review us on Apple Podcasts, just take a moment to uh, give us a starred review and then write a little review. You can be honest. It's fine. We can take it. We would greatly appreciate it. So thank you very much. Yes. You can say whatever you want, but nothing less than five stars is acceptable. (laughs) My God, no. (laughs) Eric maybe gets that joke. Yes. Yes, threaten us, Micah. Threaten us. What is is this some Game of Thrones reference? Yeah, what is we this? used to oh. uh, when we were promoting this very thing on on Game of Owns back in the day. I had a little shtick where I would go into nothing less than five stars oh, as acceptable. That takes me back. Thank you for put that. out a few different scenarios <laughs> of what would happen to people given that it was a Game of Thrones podcast. So now Apple is going to ban us. So thank you, no, Micah, for that. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds That's, very Tywin Lannister to me. Yeah, it's listener intimidation <laughs> at its finest. It's time for Muggle Mail. This first one comes from Julian. Julian says, hello, MuggleCast. I'm the producer of Potter People, the podcast, a relatively new Harry Potter podcast. I'm 13 years old, and I started it last month with a few of my friends. I have been one of your listeners for a few months, and I just love your podcast. In fact, MuggleCast inspired me to start my own podcast based upon the Harry Potter series. The other day, I was thinking of how I could best get our podcast shown to the fandom, so I thought about asking you to possibly mention our podcast on your next episode. I would really love it if you could. And this is from Julian, Roya, Liam, and Lila. Their first episode is called The Downsides of Fame, and it came out on Harry's birthday. Well, congratulations, y'all. They already have more marketing savvy than we did back in 2005. (laughs) Well, there weren't other podcasts for us to ask. But but yeah, releasing it on Harry's birthday, like what a choice move. Very smart. Well, congratulations. Yeah. It's the next generation. Yeah. We were just talking about this on the last episode. We were. Time is a flat circle. And their qu- <laughs> and their quality is really, really good. I did listen through. Um, the sound quality is great. And I think even, I think Liam and Lila are brother and sister too. So that's super cool. Like just super cool dynamic. And I love the fact that you started it with your friends. I mean, that's what I feel has made this show such a pleasure to be on for 15 years is that we're all really close friends. So mm-hmm. this show is older than them. That's what I just realized. Oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh. oh. oh wow. Good point. <laughs> Well, I know I'm going to be giving this show a listen. Thank you so much for letting us know about it, Julian. The next Muggle Mail comes from Will. He says, hi, all. You mentioned in your most recent episode that you'd like to see a fan fiction where the ministry accept at the end of Goblet that Voldemort has returned. So I thought I'd mention an ongoing fic I'm currently reading. In it, the Wizengamo view Harry's memories of the graveyard, accept Voldemort is back, and immediately start working against him. Wow, sounds like a dream come true. It's quite a long <laughs> fic at 239 pages so far, but it's a really, really good one. And I think, oh, Eric, uh, especially will like it as there's a lot of the Harry Ginny relationship. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so th- <laughs> regards, Will. Thanks, Will. Uh, this fic, which is hosted on fanfiction.net, good, good, good source of Harry Potter and other fanfic, um, is called A Second Chance. And it's by Breenie. And wow, this, I, you know, he said 239 pages, but I think it's actually 239 chapters. 
This oh my gosh is yeah, 240 wow. chapters was just posted. So it's almost two million words because you get a word count. So this is insane. And I'm scrolling through it, and these are lengthy chapters. They are not short. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll read this. It's a <laughs> lot of work. But but thank you for sharing this. This is awesome. I'm glad to see that something like this idea exists. I love the alternate universe representation of a functional government. <laughs> <laughs> Why does that have to be an alternate universe? Why can't it be this universe? It's always a little mm-hmm. bit risky when you start off an email by saying, you mentioned in your most recent episode that you like to see a fan fiction, dot, dot, dot. I didn't know where it was going <laughs> because I'm sure we've talked about a lot of different things in previous episodes of fan fictions we either would like to or would not like to see. Yeah, one day we need like a tell-all from Laura, all the fan fictions that she has witnessed because she used to be a moderator on MuggleNet Fan Fiction. So she saw it all. I've seen things. (laughs) (laughs) She's still scarred by. (laughs) This fanfic reminds me, the other thing we said we'd like to see is more serious interaction or something through the veil. And it reminds me, the the other fanfic that I found out about recently, though not two million words long, it's about 700,000. It's called The Debt of Time by Shailani. And in it, Sirius Black comes back out of the veil based on oh. some very interesting life debt complications. So... Okay. Very interesting wow. stuff. I'll recommend that one to anybody who wants to spend several weeks. And we will talk about the veil a little later. But before we wrap up Order of the Phoenix and look at the theories that fans were discussing post book release, it's time for a word from this week's sponsor Better Help. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? We all hit roadblocks in life. And despite telling ourselves that we don't need any outside help, we actually do. For years, I avoided getting help with my mental health because I thought I could take care of it myself. I thought I didn't need medication. I didn't need a therapist or a psychiatrist. Oh, boy, was that a mistake. And after years of struggling with my mental health and pushing off the idea of outside help, I finally had the breakdowns that were coming. Don't be like me and wait for rock bottom. Check out BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs in a variety of categories and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with them in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's no going to an office every week either. You'll simply do it from the comfort of your own home, which is awesome. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. And being able to access resources at home means it won't take much time out of your schedule. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you do with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today, and we have a special offer for MuggleCast listeners. Get 10% off your first month of therapy at BetterHelp.com MuggleCast. Again, visit BetterHelp.com MuggleCast. That's better, 
H-E-L-P dot com slash MuggleCast and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Harry probably could have used some better help in Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if only he had a smartphone. Now, normally here, I would say it's time for our seven word summary as we get into chapter by chapter. But we're going to do something adjacent, right, Laura? Yeah. So uh, our patrons have been very kindly offering us feedback <laughs> for <laughs> a number of weeks at this point on our seven word summaries of each of the chapters. And they're rating us using the OWL levels. So outstanding, exceeds expectations, acceptable, poor, dreadful, and troll. And I went through and found all of these and found the winning result from each available poll. And I wanted us to play a little game <laughs> wherein you all guess what percentage of each rating won in the listener polls for Order of the Phoenix. So, for example, if you think that we were outstanding on every single poll, you would say outstanding was 100% of the time. It wasn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> And how many polls were there? There were a total of 17 for Order of the Phoenix. Okay, so okay. towards the back half then. I don't know yeah, about yeah. that sample size. I this <laughs> questionable. Mike is very uncomfortable. Questionable data, biased opinion. So let's start out with outstanding. What percentage of our results or what percentage of the winning uh, poll answers do you think were outstanding? I'm going to say 20%. Ooh. Okay. A full fifth of the time. Outstanding. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Uh, Seven being the most magical number, I'm going to go with 7%. 7%. Give us more credit. <laughs> I don't think we had a, a, many that were outstanding. I was watching these as they came in, and I, I felt like they did throw us a bone every once in a while, but I, I'm going to go with 17%. It's a lot Ooh. closer to, to 20, but also has that seven in it. All right. Well, Andrew was closest. We were actually <laughs> outstanding 23.5% of the time. See, I knew we were awesome. Well done. 23% outstanding. Excellent. What about exceeds expectations? Okay. This one's going to be much higher. I think this is going to be like, yeah. I would say 44%. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll say 40%. 35. Is this like Price is Right rules? The closest without going go over? over? Yeah. Okay. Well... You all went over. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> we, we exceeded expectations 29% of the time. Okay. Okay. A third. That's good. It's not bad. All right. What about acceptable? 15%. Every, every other percentage point that's left. So, so wait, 50, there's, there's 52% so far is covered. So the max is 48 on this. Uh, I'm going to say mm, 30%. I'm going to half it. I'm going to do 24%. All right. It's 42%. Whoa. Wow. We were acceptable 42% of the time. And as you're, you know, doing the math, you can see which category we fell into most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, what about poor? I mean, okay, let's put it this way. We have <laughs> we have 6% left to fiddle with if my math is right. And yes. okay. And if anybody gave us a dreadful and troll, we'll just kick him out of the Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to bet that our patrons wouldn't do us like that. And I'm going to say we were poor 6% of the time. Three. I'll say 2%. All right. Well, Eric was right on the nose here. Oh. We were poor 6% of the time, which means- I think Eric looked <laughs> at the Facebook group. I'm just kidding. We uh, we we scored zero 
dreadful and trolls. Really, though? I mean, yeah. I would say last week's or, or two weeks ago when we wrapped the chapter, that was pretty bad. Yeah. It's not to say that nobody ever gave us a dreadful right. or a troll. Oh. It's just that those weren't the winning results. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. We're ju- we were just being hard on ourselves, Micah. I think yeah. we actually did better really than we good. realized. We're better than we realized, yeah. Guys, like we are acceptable. That's we what are. I'm taking away <laughs> <Okay>. from this. <laughs> Great. Can I have a button that says that and I'll stick it on my shirt? We know you I'm have. acceptable. Here at MuggleCast, we know you have a choice in Harry Potter podcasts. Thank you <laughs> for listening to our acceptable <laughs> chapter renames. We're exceeds expectations are higher more than 50% of the time. So we definitely passed our owls from from this year's uh, chapter by chapter. So now let's review the top seven most critical moments of Order of the Phoenix. These are in no particular order. I think, Micah, you kind of led the assembly of these. We didn't want to just say, you know, the best moments. We wanted to do most critical. What, What moments really mattered in this book? These are sort of the standout moments, the ones that have the largest impact in in different ways on the plot. Uh, and I thought we could start with talking about Sirius telling Creature to get out. And yep. we know the implications of what happens as a result of this, but this is a major moment in the series as well because it allows for Creature to go to the Malfoys to pass along information, to betray Harry ultimately and the Order. And um, it's nice to see Harry and Creature's relationship develop in future books. But yeah, this was a big mistake on the part of Sirius. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think what's so painful about this moment, rereading it, knowing what we know, is that we know this is the moment when he goes and starts speaking to Narcissa, (laughs) right? Yeah. And we know, like, from the halfway point on throughout the book, we know that Creature is Uh literally betraying Harry, Sirius, the Order. And it's just painful knowing what's coming, you know? Absolutely. And and we know that it's one of, well, it's basically Sirius's greatest flaw. Um, And if you want to look at it as, you know, from a morality standpoint, the lesson to be learned is that even in one moment of unkindness, Sirius was doomed from this point forward. And it he he wasn't thinking and he was angry and he was lashing out, but there's no take back seats once you allow something like Creature to go over to uh his other quote masters. So it definitely I think can't help but it it stings, but it's also like, well, I should just live life being kind and not do what Sirius did. Right. And and Dumbledore talks about it a little bit later on in the book in, in terms of the larger relationship that the wizarding community has with creatures, with house elves, with goblins, with centaurs. And we can get into that whole conversation again about um, the statue that was in the Ministry of Magic. And, and he refers to it as as really a, a false representation of of how society works, though I think there were probably pretty accurate representations in terms of how the statue was constructed and how the, the sort of the wizard and the witch were overseeing the rest. And this is just yet another example of of somebody we would consider to be a, a good person in serious mistreating 
some somebody or something that he considers to be less than him and the end result is that he pays for it in the end next one this was a big one it probably can be broken up into a lot of different pieces but the conversation at the end of order of the phoenix between dumbledore and harry chapter titled the lost prophecy but a whole lot more information is revealed in this conversation and we talked about how it was a conversation that probably, in part, should have been had in prior books, just to give Harry a little bit more like confidence and knowledge about what the hell is going on. And of course, in this scene, Dumbledore talks about how and why he delayed telling Harry all this information. The reasons mm-hmm. weren't great. <laughs> the excuses weren't great. Old age. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, I've never heard Micah's Dumbledore impression it's before. Good. It's actually my impersonation of you impersonating Dumbledore. Oh, oh wow. Many layers. <laughs> it's like sloppy seconds. <laughs> Isn't it, though? Yeah, this was a, a critical moment, and it could have gone even further, of course. It could have been more critical, but Dumbledore, as usual, decided to withhold everything. You know, we should really edit that line to where Dumbledore says... Sit down, Harry. I'm going to tell you mostly everything. Mostly everything. Or some yeah. things. <laughs> well, that would have upset Harry a lot. Oh, you're only going to tell me some information? Next one on the list was the formation of Dumbledore's army. This is huge in terms of the implications for the end of this book, but also for future books, particularly as we get into the later parts of Half-Blood Prince and Deathly Hallows. It's really the unification of houses, too, mm-hmm. with the exception of Slytherin. Mm-hmm. This idea of Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff coming together with Gryffindor to initially fight against Umbridge, but then really coming together to fight against Voldemort and the Death Eaters. So this is a really important moment, not just in Order of the Phoenix, but in the series. Yeah, a lot of the students really gained a lot from these lessons. And part of it was because they were learning practically. But the the other part is that they were studying things like uh, Patronus creation, which ultimately benefits them during the final battle when they're dealing with Death Eaters and, and, or Dementors or any of the things they're likely to come up against in a Voldemort society. But that stuff really ne- wouldn't necessarily even have been taught to them without Dumbledore's army. Um, even you know, the Patronus charm is a rare charm. The fact that Remus teaches Harriet at all is because there's Dementors at the gate. So the fact that everyone in Dumbledore's army can now do full Patronuses is hugely advanced and not something they would have done even without Umbridge. Yeah, and I like the point about house unity because the the houses are always pitted against each other with whether it's the house point system or Quidditch. And here's a rare example, only organized by the students, not the teachers, to actually unite. Definitely. And and I think you see growth and development. To your point, Eric, probably the one who benefits the most from it is Neville. And we've talked about him and his evolution and how he kind of comes into his own at the end of Order of the Phoenix in in the the battle in the Department of Mysteries. So a lot of students obviously benefiting from Harry's teaching, but I think for Neville in particular, Dumbledore's army is extremely important. And Luna, because she also is surviving all the Mm -hmm. Department of Mysteries stuff. And to be fair, this is some good development for Ginny too. 
I mean, this is the first time that we get to see, like, really see firsthand what a badass she is. Did you just say Ginny had character development? She (laughs) did a very small amount, but it was it was the most I think she got in the entire series. I'll I'll take it. And also she came up with the name. So that's great too. It's also probably worth mentioning Luna here as well, just in terms of her friendship, her becoming a fierce ally of Harry, Ron and Hermione's and sticking with them really throughout the rest of the series. Harry's trial. This is our first glimpse at just how corrupt the ministry has become in terms of wanting to do anything to discredit Voldemort, his return, and also just Harry's story in general. And we get a sense for what probably would have happened to him had Dumbledore not shown up. So we see this play out throughout the course of Order of the Phoenix with Umbridge being appointed to Hogwarts and just their overall involvement and unwillingness to believe Harry. And it starts really at the very beginning of the book with with his trial. This is definitely, it feels personal when the government is, you know, making Harry do this on these trumped up charges on things that weren't his fault. And the the level of how much of a sham the trial is shows you early on just what the stakes are here. And I never thought I'd say this, but looking back on the trial, thank God for Dumbledore, because the the system was (laughs) built in such a way that Harry really couldn't defend himself because he wasn't told his rights. And he didn't know that, that he could even bring a witness, for instance. And that was something that Dumbledore maneuvered into existence. So it, it really... And then ju- there was that last minute location change yeah. or time change. Yeah. I mean, time and location change. It was just awful. So immature. Yeah. Very reprehensible. And the fact that they're willing to put a 15-year-old on trial in front of the full Wizengamo mm-hmm. is revealing in and of itself. Right. The lengths of which they're willing to go to to really discredit Harry. Well, Fudge got what was coming to him by the end. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, since we mentioned Umbridge, let's go to her detention uh, that she has for Harry. And we all know that she is the only other person that we're aware of that is responsible for scarring Harry outside Mm -hmm. of Voldemort Mm -hmm. and definitely intentional on the part of JK Rowling, just knowing how sinister this character is, how evil she is. The fact that she would be the only other one to scar Harry, to leave a permanent mark on him. I think he may wear it sort of as a badge of honor moving forward, but it's certainly a really just disturbing scene. Yeah, and I think especially because you're seeing this happen within the walls of Hogwarts, you know, it's something being done by a teacher. It just was unthinkable. Yeah, right. Yeah. Abs- absolutely. And she's drawing blood too. This it's basically an mm-hmm. attack. It's a sanctioned yeah. attack. Yeah, I do think it's really interesting that Harry gets scarred by sort of like the two, like the opposite ends of the evil spectrum. Like, he just gets pure evil from Voldemort, but then he gets bureaucratic evil from Umbridge. Where is Lily's protection when it comes to the the quill? <laughs> Two more moments here. The first is probably the battle that we had been waiting for for most of 
the series to this point, and that was between Dumbledore and Voldemort inside the atrium in the Ministry of Magic. Really epic scene. It has to happen, right? Like normally it happens mm-hmm. and the mentor dies or gets mm-hmm. killed by the evil overlord. That didn't happen here. Dumbledore no. saves the day. He does some cool magic that I think we're still questioning some of the spells that that he cast, but it's just, you know, OG level magic because it's Dumbledore. Yeah. And maybe not a critical moment of Order of the Phoenix, but it's certainly one that we all wanted to see. No, it was critical because I think so Dumbledore too. had to fend off Voldemort. And also, you know, on the heels of this moment is when multiple ministry officials, including the Minister of Magic, actually see Voldemort and realize that he is indeed back. Right. And this completely, you know, it justifies everything that Harry and Dumbledore have been saying for the last year. So there is a lot of payoff in this moment, too. Um, Also, just, I mean, we talked a little bit about the fountain earlier, but it was a really good bit of writing um, to think about how, like, the way the scene was staged to have the fountain, like, break apart and have each of the different components doing its part in protecting Harry or going to get help or being a shield for Dumbledore. Um, I I just thought that was really, really well written. Yeah, totally. And imagine if this didn't happen in this book. Imagine if ministry officials didn't see Voldemort with their own eyes. Imagine another book of them being in denial. So, yeah. I would not have continued with the series. I couldn't take it anymore. I know. So it was Dumbledore's keeping Voldemort there locked in battle that ultimately benefited um, or made them see. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. And then this final moment we actually didn't have included here. Micah, you forgot it. How could you? But JY, (laughs) who's listening live on Patreon, just reminded us um, that just that one major death. Broderick Bode. Oh, serious. <laughs> serious dying at the end of the book. Yeah, of course it was critical. And actually, we'll talk about this one a little later because obviously the fandom was shook after the death of Sirius. Harry had already lost so many people. And then to pile on with the death of Sirius was really heartbreaking. And this was not just a friend, but a family member to Harry. You know what it was, Andrew? That moment is just so critical. I, I, didn't even you think blocked it belonged it out. on the list. No, it didn't belong on the list. It just it, <laughs> it supersedes beyond... everything else. Yeah, I mean, we t- we talked about this with at the beginning with Sirius telling Creature to get out. Like it marks his fate. But the fact that J.K. Rowling actually went there, okay, like I'll give it its own moment because it is big. It's huge, and I I don't I I don't I didn't know how we would go on once Sirius had died. Like, what's the sixth Harry Potter book going to be like? And I was like, well. Harry's going to have to rely on Lupin now, I guess. And that Mm -hmm. never happened. Mm -hmm. It ended up being Dumbledore himself, which like, okay, his lessons are fun. But you just don't know who's who's next in line for the the chopping block because Sirius was the closest thing to family that Harry had. Right. And I think, too, you knew at some point that Dumbledore had to go. So the fact that she takes away Sirius and, and Dumbledore still is around, like, like I, I know I joked about it earlier, but you could see a situation even where Voldemort defeats Dumbledore in the ministry and we lose Dumbledore, but obviously he's important in Half-Blood Prince. But I, I just think the fact that you knew because of the way these stories always play themselves out, that Dumbledore had to go, knowing how close... Dumbledore is to Harry and how much he means to him. 
mm-hmm. to then lose Sirius before that is just, <sighs> it's heartbreaking. Okay, so now let's take a time turner back to August 2003. This was the month after the book was released originally. What were fans theorizing about post-Order of the Phoenix and before Half-Blood Prince? And to do this, to find out what people were wondering, I hopped into the Wayback Machine. This is available on archive.org, and I typed in (laughs) MuggleNet.com. For anybody who doesn't know, Wayback Machine is this, this amazing tool where you can see any website at any point in time in its existence and if you're missing the old mugglenet.com which was like the coolest website design ever yeah um, definitely go to the wayback machine and check this out so anyway i hopped in the wayback machine and i visited mugglenet.com's book six theories page from august 2003 and boy was this a throwback because i also went to the about us page on mugglenet.com <laughs> andrew sims 15 years old. There's a little photo of me looking <laughs> like a baby. And uh, Eric was second build oh, on the MuggleNet.com about I, us I've, page. I've fallen from prominence on MuggleNet. <laughs> you were right below Emerson. <laughs> <laughs> it was going by join date, I think, at that point. Yeah, yeah. You joined what? MuggleNet in what? 2002, three? Yeah, two. Yeah, the end of two. Wow. Wow. OG right here. <laughs> anyway... So what had happened on the Book 6 Theories page is we had collected some theories from visitors of MuggleNet.com. This first one was from Ashley. Harry and Voldemort can't duel because Fox's tail feather is in both wands, causing the reverse spell effect. So Harry isn't going to be able to use his wand against Voldemort. The power is going to have to come from something else. What it is, I don't know, but it can't be wand magic. So this Ooh, theory is astute. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty spot on. And again, this is after reading book five. Well, and I, I love that this predates MuggleCast. You know, MuggleCast in existence came right after book six came out. So we yes. had these answers. But getting the, getting this, I assume that Ashley was going off of the graveyard and Priori and Cantatum and all that stuff. Yeah. To, but, but the fact that Harry is actually out of commission or his wand is out of commission uh, in Deathly Hallows was predicted here. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. This next one is from Anka. She said, they said, an interesting anagram pursues Evans equals Severus Snape. Could Snape have been in love with Lily? He certainly hated James. He could have even been the source that warned Dumbledore and the order that Voldemort was after James and Lily. Okay. Whoa. There's a dun, spelling. Dun, dun. There's a spelling error <laughs> that makes this what, work. Pursues? Pursues is with two U's, not one. Um, so it, is it? Yeah. Yeah. P-U-R-S-U-E-S. Oh. So it doesn't actually work the more you think about it. But if you're willing to do a spelling error, Pursues <laughs> Evans absolutely allows for... That's why I like the early fandom. Like, we could be wrong. and We didn't know how to spell. We could be wrong and still be right. You know? Like, uh-huh. that's it's pretty cool. Traditional English spelling of pursues, if you didn't know. You go to the old Oxford English dictionary. Oh, is that true? No, I just made that up. I'm oh, sure I believe that's that true. We're just as gullible <laughs> well, as we were in 2003. Wasn't there something, too, like, if you... You move a letter, like you get Perseus Evans, and and so Severus is actually Lily's brother. <laughs> okay. But I mean, obviously, Anka was right about Snape having loved Lily, 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there is something to this source theory. Been the source yeah, totally. Him. He could have even been the source that warned Dumbledore. Of course, we don't learn in Order of the Phoenix, but we do later learn uh, that Snape was the one who overheard the prophecy. Oh, my God. You're right. So yeah, he yeah, went to exactly. Dumbledore. Eventually, once he learned that Voldemort was going to be going after the Potters. So... Mm-hmm. she's right she's right on the money and so yeah i do remember this pursues evans thing though this, this was like a hot button mm-hmm. and i don't think jk rowling would go that far as to make snape's name uh what would you call it an anagram or you mm-hmm. don't think so because remember what happened in chamber of secrets oh yeah well. <laughs> <laughs> that, i think that that's takes... where this theory stems <laughs> well, from and, probably and, and, and let's not forget Drubal's best blowing gum is a perfect anagram no spelling errors for gold bribe under St. Mungo's <laughs> oh wow. yeah god I remember those rumors <laughs> can't say I remember that okay this next one's from Stevie it's pretty funny I believe Mr. Weasley will become the minister of magic the reasons are two Fudge will probably be thrown out of office for not telling anyone about Voldemort Ron said in book five that they have as much chance of winning the House Cup as Dad becoming Minister of Magic. And when Ron jokes about something, he's usually right. Who better for Dumbledore to to place at the top than Mr. Weasley? I like how Dumbledore gets to decide. (laughs) Look, with all due respect to Mr. Weasley, he wouldn't be capable of running the ministry. Come on. Why not? What are you saying about Arthur? I think he's he spends too much time thinking about rubber ducks to uh, <laughs> be able to focus on running the whole organization. He would be the first minister to have a microwave in his office. True. True. But I mean, he would be great for wizard muggle relations. I just don't think he's very capable right. of running the whole show. Oof, that's that's rough, Andrew. <laughs> to Laura's point, though, she always raises the this fact here that usually what Ron jokes about ends up becoming true. I would also think with Arthur, if if she were to put him in that position as Minister of Magic, she would have to kill him because Rufus Scrimgeour dies later Mm. on in the series. So, I mean, if we're just tracking with the same kind of developments. Oh, right. mm, Yeah. I don't think he'd want to be Minister either, though. Like, well, those who I don't, who, yeah, those who want power are the less least suited to take it, right? But, yeah, uh, but yeah. shout out to this this whole Ron's joking thing. That's rule number two of Wizarding World Press's ultimate unofficial guide: rules of HP sleuthery. So shout out credit where it's mm. due. Okay, next one. I don't have a name on this one. I, I think this was not attributed to anybody on the book six theories page on Mogonet. Oh, it's me in disguise. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Eric allegedly said, on page 861 of the American version of Order of the Phoenix, Nearly Headless Nick tells Harry, I know nothing of the secrets of death. I believe learned wizards study the matter in the Department of Mysteries, end quote. I'm assuming that Nick is referring directly or indirectly to the veil that Sirius fell through. It's entirely reasonable for the veil to be a connection, gateway, portal, whatever, to another plane, the plane where people go when they die. The veil is possibly an experiment by such learned wizards trying to contact the dead or make a connection to this other plane. In this case, as Sirius didn't die from Bellatrix's spell, but merely from crossing the one white gateway into this other plane, then the whispering voices that Harry hears are the voices of the dead, and this leaves the veil open for later contact with Sirius, assuming that if one gets close enough, he or she can actually talk with the dead. 
So the TLDR on this is that maybe Harry will continue to be able to speak to Sirius through the veil or somehow get him back. Yeah. Not accurate in hindsight. No, but this was a very popular theory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, following mm-hmm. Order of the even I think beyond Order of the Phoenix, people were really hoping that somehow, some way, either Harry was going to be able to connect with Sirius or that Sirius would in fact come back to life. And I don't blame people for thinking that because we have to remember how attracted Harry was to the veil. Yep. Like he was in a trance. Mm-hmm. And when we talked about it a few episodes ago, I was kind of feeling like the veil's a little bit predatory. Like yeah, it's right. luring people in. Yeah. Security nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> but I can definitely see why after first reading this book without the context or the lack of context we get later on the Department of Mysteries, why somebody might think that Harry would be making a return. Staying on Sirius, this was from Oswaldo. From what was said in Book 5, it would be logical to assume that Harry is Sirius's heir. So not only will Harry inherit Sirius's fortune and properties, but he will be the owner of 12 Grimwald Place and Creature's Master. Harry is therefore going to have to control his feelings regarding the betrayal of Sirius from Creature and will have more responsibilities. This was spot on. Wow. Wow. Well done. Yeah. Oswaldo (laughs) was very forward thinking. I got to say, maybe it was just denial over the loss of Sirius, but I was not at all thinking about a will or what Sirius's will might look like. So the fact that Oswaldo is on it and the fact that it even comes up in like chat, what chapter two of, it's the first time we see Harry, he's learning what Sirius left him. That was that was way too soon for me to even think about Sirius and what he would have left Harry. So I love that this theory is so there. And then finally, this was from Mugglenet's The North Tower column. This was a great wow. column by Maline Fredden. What a throwback. I know, right? You can see this all on the Wayback Machine and maybe the current Mugglenet.com. I don't know. But Moline wrote about fans asking themselves, if Sirius is dead, which he isn't, according to some people, then what the heck was Prisoner of Azkaban for, if not to give Harry dreams that would be crushed? I thought Rowling cared about Harry. If she did, she wouldn't want to cause him more emotional pain than the awful trauma he has already faced. So people were saying that online. That's how some people were feeling. And then Moline responded, I must admit that I had taken Sirius off the book five death list for this precise reason. Surely J.K. Rowling wasn't going to kill off Sirius when Harry had already lost both his parents. I, too, was very, very sad when I realized that he was dead. I can see now why she did it, though. Harry needs to experience love in all its forms to be able to vanquish Voldemort in the end. He needs to know the force, which is more wonderful and more terrible than everything else. And I believe that this force is love in all aspects. He misses his parents, but hasn't really felt the sorrow of their deaths. He saw Cedric die, but that wasn't a person he truly loved. He has now experienced the, the strongest and most terrible of all feelings to watch a loved one die. The death of Sirius is, in a way, the logical progression of the previous deaths in Harry's life. His parents' death was a half-experienced love. Cedric's death too, loss. Sirius's death put the two parts together, love and loss, making Harry really understand the mixed wonderfulness and terribleness of love. So I thought that was just really well said by Maline. Agreed. I think also, and I, I know this is not a popular take, but I really think that 
part of the reason Sirius had to go was because his arc was over. I don't know that there was much else his character could have contributed for the rest of the series. I don't buy that. I think he would have surprised everybody. He fought and survived in the first war. He might not have been elevated to the status that Lily and James were in having defied Voldemort directly three times. But, you know, Sirius was a very competent wizard who had his best years stolen from him. And I, I just think there was more there. I don't buy this whole it was his time to go kind of argument. Full disclosure, though, Eric, your email address was SiriusBlack423 at AOL.com. <laughs> it's true. So I you are biased here. My donors, I am, I am, I am, I do get quite <laughs> a bit of money from the Sirius Black uh, uh, defense fund. You're uh, biased. I, I, I'm sure it hurt to have this email address and then lose this character. It, it, it might have been, depending on when I set it up, it might have been because of this character. Actually, <laughs> I'm just so sad. I need him in my email address. I need to carry his memory on. You know what? No, I had Sirius Black first. Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. So it was just because I was a huge fan of Prisoner. Yeah. Prisoner of Azkaban. You've is, got death. Is such a great book. And, and I understand what... <laughs> what is being said here, whoever sent this question into Maline, but I, I agree with Laura. I, I think Sirius's character arc was over because Half-Blood Prince is really about Snape. It's about Tom Riddle and the, and the rise of Voldemort. In many ways, it's about Dumbledore. And then Deathly Hallows is the final book. And you know, Sirius would have wanted to a tag along like Lupin wanted to early on in that book. So I just don't know how much more he could have done or contributed to to go off of what Laura said earlier. Sorry, Eric. No, no problem. You're going to get so many pissed off emails from the Serious Black Defense Fund. <laughs> <laughs> All coming from Serious Black email addresses. Like, I'll, I'll ask. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. Serious Black oh, 423, which is me. Oh, really? <laughs> Buckbeak at gmail.com. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's not forget the Beaky people. They're really upset that well, J.K. Rowling killed. Beaky were close, man. They, they were. Yeah, mm. they were. They were. They were. That was his forever human. Mm-hmm. Forever human. Okay, so now let's move over to questions that were never answered after Order of the Phoenix. So the purpose of this segment is to address things that were raised in Order of the Phoenix that we hoped would be addressed in later books but never were. We are going to set aside the Department of Mysteries because we have discussed that one already. We have a few here at the top from ourselves, and then we'll move to some that were submitted by our listeners at patreon.com slash mugglecast. I think, Eric, this first one is yours, right? Absolutely. So you guys remember how in Goblet of Fire, Peter Pettigrew nurses a infantile Voldemort to full health gives his arm up for Voldemort's regeneration and is basically was the only friend he had for all of Goblet of Fire, you know, to really bring him back. Well, in Order of the Phoenix, the longest Harry Potter book and the one that subsequently follows immediately thereafter, Peter is gone. We don't know what Pettigrew is up to, and I'm pretty sure he's not even mentioned in the very next book. So Peter has gone from having such a prominent role to completely, and as far as I'm concerned, conspicuously absent in Order of the Phoenix. And so where the hell was he? He eventually turns up um, in book six at uh, Spinner's End, but I really don't think he was serving Snape and Snape's guests 
water all of the fifth year so mm-hmm. yeah right. plus Snape well, maybe is voldemort gave him a vacation he did help him come back to life after vacation. all yeah so is he Take on vacation some time like, off where'd he go so i remember thinking that this was gonna be big right because Vol- like peter pettigrew admittedly yeah he's a coward but either voldemort's gonna reward him or he's gonna get more dangerous work that's gonna just rub right up against the wishes and interests of Dumbledore and as we didn't know it at the time, but the Order of the Phoenix. So where is he? I think that he was on a recruiting mission for four turtles and (laughs) (laughs) he was looking for his own spinoff series and it just didn't work out. Wow. Okay. Next question. Did Hermione oh, give We're up? We're done with Peter. <laughs> We're done with Peter already. <laughs> Did Hermione give up SPEW? Do you guys remember any mentions of SPEW? I just looked this up on Google. In book six, does anything happen with SPEW? Because Hermione's knitting all these hats. It's really rubbing the elves the wrong way in book five. Book five culminates with the um, Fountain of Magical Brethren getting destroyed, creatures betrayal, all that stuff. And then as far as I remember, elf rights kind of just, I don't remember Spew existing beyond this point. Well, I think much like Sirius Black, its character arc ended at the end of <laughs> oh, the yeah. No, but I, I do think it's possible Hermione could be feeling a little bit guilty after Creature's Betrayal and not wanting to bring up something like Spew in front of Harry for a little bit of time. But- I do think, though, that it, it it kind of ended there. It has a major payoff in Deathly Hallows. For those that re- joined us for trivia a couple of weeks ago, we asked the question about Ron and Hermione's kiss, and it's because of Ron's sympathy and, and outpouring of <laughs> concern for the house elves that they finally lock lips together. But um, that's really all I remember. I, and obviously, Hermione goes on in in the ministry to to advocate right for house elf yes. rights right yeah that is so, true the harry potter fandom.com wiki and the other ones still say that like elf rights were important to hermione as minister and this that the other thing but as far as direct evidence that it, it spew continues into book six i think it's kaput yeah yeah, you know, I think as children, you try out some new activities and then you realize maybe I've got other things going on in my life. <laughs> well, also she on. got zero support. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She got zero support from the school and from her friends. So mm-hmm. she probably realized, you know what? I think I'm just going to have to plan to be the Minister of Magic one day so that I can <laughs> right. take care really of this problem. Like these injustices. I think the only one upset was probably Dobby because he was probably selling that stuff on the side. <laughs> <laughs> So I have a question, though. Mm -hmm. Do we think it's possible that maybe like one elf went rogue and was like, oh, man, I'm going to take this hat? Yes. Freedom. (laughs) Yes. You you have to think so. There's so many elves there. Yeah. I want that elf story. (laughs) Write the fan fiction. I want that elf to have a Twitter (laughs) account called The Lone Elf where he goes around and traveling the world. (laughs) The life he couldn't have led as a Hogwarts kitchen uh, elf. Next question. What happened to the ministry? Was there any investigation into their security? We've touched on this a little bit in our chapter by chapter discussions. It was shocking that they were able to just waltz right in there. Now, the Death Eaters, I think, as I speculated, could have set them up, could have made it easy for the kids to get into the ministry. But what about security to prevent the Death Eaters from getting in? 
when we ask what happened to the ministry, we're asking, was there any fallout for the horrible lack of security that allowed this to happen? Were there changes that prevented something like this from happening again in the future? I think Eric lost his job. <laughs> Poor Eric. <laughs> At Pizza Party Ruse, he, should, he shouldn't have fallen for it, you know? Yeah. Well, clearly not <laughs> like enough you do. security was put into place if Harry, Ron, and Hermione are able to infiltrate the ministry you know, to, after taking Polyjuice Potion in in Deathly Hallows. You would think, like, much like Gringotts has the, uh, was it the Thief's Downfall, where it, it yeah. reveals yeah. who people actually are. The ministry should have been more than capable of putting something like that in place so that you know, people aren't showing up in disguise. Not that they were expecting Harry to really come to the ministry, because that's just, that was just such a bonehead move, but... <laughs> he had to do it in order to advance the plot. I get it. But yeah, they're able to break in again to the ministry. No problem. Yeah. And mm. and and don't forget Cursed Child, too. Their kids are able to do I it. I was just going to say that. Yeah. But I was going to say, well, maybe Hermione fixed things. But if the kids broke in and Cursed Child, then maybe not. And that's her watch. She's the minister. So yeah. she's broken into the ministry multiple times before, and she doesn't guard against Again, it's the whole Sorcerer's Stone argument about how an 11-year-old was able to get to that room. Uh, it's just like, you know, we got to let it go because it's the plot. Maybe Hermione, as Minister for Magic, said to herself, who am I to take away these experiences that I had myself <laughs> when I was a child? Okay, now getting to listener questions. Again, these were submitted at patreon.com slash mugglecast, where listeners support us. Megan said, did they have to make new educational decrees in order to cancel out the ones Umbridge made, or did they just ignore them after she left? That's a fun question. Mm, I like that question a lot. I think she would just can't, they would just cancel them all out. Dumbledore would have that power. Totally. Yeah. I really like what they did in the movies, where this was during the Fred and George escape, where the, dis- the decrees uh, oh, just yeah. basically exploded one after the other. Or may have been all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think what she put in place, like there may have been some learnings that others could take from her decrees, but I think for the most part, they were just so authoritarian that it wouldn't hold up for for Dumbledore to to use those in the future. Right. There was no question that they were going to be wiped. Yeah, yeah. But whether they did that with like one educational decree, because they had to do it with something. I think that it would have had to have been um, like, you know how we did prohibition and then the other amendment, like two after it is repealed to prohibition. It's like in order to do that, you have to undo that like officially. So I think that's what they did. I know they didn't hang up all the decrees in the book like they did in the movie. I don't think. Right. right. But I'm picturing Dumbledore just walking back into the castle, looking at all those decrees and going <laughs> and then just waving his wand and just burning them all. <laughs> Steven says, what happened to Lockhart? Did his handwriting get any better? (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. I think we're just led to assume that he spends the rest of his days at St. Mungo's. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of his farewell, wasn't it? Serves him right, though. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of had that coming, given the pain he inflicted on other people in a much similar fashion. I, I thought Lockhart was just one of those moments, one of those Easter eggs that J.K. Rowling threw to readers just to kind of be like, yes. hey, it's Lockhart. And uh, 
It, actually, I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. To go off of that, though, you know, whatever happened to Frank and Alice Longbottom? Are they still there as well? Did they ever recover? I would assume not. No. I mean, think about how much time had passed for Frank and Alice and they were still there, you know? You know what I'd like to believe, though? Maybe they took him out for a day trip to Frank and uh, or Neville and, and Hannah Abbott's wedding. I would, oh, that'd be nice. I would like to think that they got out of the ward. Um, at least for that. Okay, next one. For y'all said, I don't know if this counts as mystery, but it always bothered me how we never hear about the impact from the final battle on the other five teens who went with Harry. Ron is attacked by these brains that ponder crazy things, probably. Does it not affect his mind? Neville has no PD... PTSD from coming face to face with his parents' torturer. Luna has seen her mother die. No flashbacks for her. Ginny has been personally tortured by Tom Riddle. So what about her? Obviously, it's ultimately Harry's point of view and his grief over Sirius's death eclipses the rest. But I found it odd that the residual trauma for everyone else is never even mentioned later. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I would think especially with Ron, like we know that Madame Pomfrey said that memories leave really deep scars. And I remember at the end of the book kind of expecting to see repercussions of that for Ron a Mm. little bit later, but we never did. Same. Or even surprise um, advantages. He's like, oh, you know, he comes out with some kind of life-saving spell or something at the right moment. And Harry's like, whoa, what was that? And he was like, it's okay. I was a 140-year-old wizard once, uh, you know, because of these memories that he's got attached to him from this brain. He's like, I picked that up in Prague, you know, like, right. you in Prague? Oh, the brain, you know, kind of a thing. So yeah, this could have been like his Peter Parker moment. Yeah. Bitten by the spider. Exactly. Oh, it reminds my. me of like an episode of The Simpsons or something when something happens to the characters. And then next episode, it's like it never happened. These episodes are self-contained. And it's kind it of what is happened odd, here. though, because you go from Harry and Dumbledore having that info dump conversation to Harry just sitting in the hospital ward with all of the other kids that were with him in the Department of Mysteries. And they all, for the most part, seem to be recovered just fine. So I, I do like this question because you would think that there was some lasting impact, some lasting either physical or or because Hermione also takes some really serious hits um in that yep. battle and you know she's presumed almost to be dead at one point and so yeah it's you would think even whether physical or mental there there has to be lasting impacts from this and it's not the first time Rowling's done that to Ron either because the uh strategic thing that she was going for with the chess set in year 1 doesn't really come back later okay this next one is from jeffrey when dumbledore gets booted out of hogwarts and replaced by umbridge where does he go is he staying with his brother does he have a loft in muggle london where he looks at knitting patterns all day (laughs) has he perhaps already begun his hunt for the places tom riddle may have hidden a horcrux the last option seems somewhat possible because not long after he finds the ring hidden in the ruins of the gaunt shack I like that last one, yeah. but Micah, I bet you have some theories in in terms of uh, hanging out with his brother. <laughs> of course. I mean, that should be anyone's first stop, the Hogshead, after leaving Hogwarts. <laughs> we all know. Can you believe what they did to me? <laughs> uh, no, but I know we joked about it during the uh, chapter by chapter segments, but 
I wouldn't be surprised if Dumbledore was kind of hiding out in the forest a little bit. You know, he comes to Harry's aid a couple of times. I could see him hanging around and kind of keeping an eye on things, although it doesn't excuse the fact that he didn't intervene when they attacked McGonagall. So yeah, maybe oh, that's right. Maybe he was just, you know, it was nighttime. It was like midnight though. So maybe he was asleep. Maybe he <laughs> was the one who was meeting up with Grop. Because remember, Harry and Hermione never went back after Hagrid introduced them. And then all of a sudden, Grop is able to communicate effectively with them when they're up against the centaurs. And I know for me, I was mm. always like, where did he pick that up? If it's been weeks and he hasn't had any visitors, maybe Dumbledore was just chilling with Grop. Oh, <laughs> kind of like tutoring him. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I like the knitting pattern idea. <laughs> I think that's what he was doing all day. Definitely not at headquarters, though, because the night that this all goes down at the ministry, he shows up after everybody has already left. Mm. Right. Right. So maybe there's something to the Horcrux hunt. Speaking of Grop, Laura, Taylor oh said, I know MuggleCast is a family show, <laughs> but I always wondered how a giant and a human would conceive. Can we all agree this would only work one way, one direction? <laughs> And it's the way that it works with Hagrid, where his mom was the giant and his dad was the human. <laughs> yes. It would not work the other way. <laughs> well, I mean... I, I think you're right. Yeah, I agree. But think about it this way. Have you ever seen, like, a really peculiar dog mix? Like, like a, a Great Dane and a Chihuahua? Like, it can happen. Life <laughs> yeah, finds a way. We're talking about much larger sizes here. It's... <laughs> I don't know. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> I'm fascinated that that is Taylor's one question that either he or she uh, once you know, resolved from Order of the Phoenix. Believe it or not, Taylor was not alone. Some other people said, you know, I've had this thought as well. People were wondering. Okay, moving on. Michelle said, I always wished we knew more about Snape's perspective. I'm not one of those people who romanticizes his obsession with Lily, but he's still a character that I like to study. So my question is, did Snape feel any regret or, or remorse for ending Harry's occlumency lessons like a child having a temper tantrum? I know his privacy was violated, but Harry is a 15-year-old boy and this is a war. Priorities? Anyway, it's very clear to me that if Harry had a smidge of faith and trust in Snape, he wouldn't have immediately assumed that Snape didn't care about slash understand his cryptic warning about Sirius in front of Umbridge. I would hope that Snape did feel bad about how occlumency went in hindsight. In the moment, I think he was justified, honestly. But in hindsight, I hope he wished that it had gone better. No, I echo that exactly. Yeah. I think he got a right magical spanking from Dumbledore. Sorry, a stern <laughs> talking to Bad boy. Bad boy. <laughs> bad boy. Bad boy. <laughs> oh, this show's gone to a dark place. I, you know, kind of like what Micah was alluding to, I would have... I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for whatever conversation Dumbledore and Snape had about this, mm -hmm. because it seems like Dumbledore's pretty accepting of it by the time he's telling Harry or explaining to Harry why it didn't work. But I can't imagine that in the moment he wasn't super pissed. I don't think there's any question that he's pissed off about it. I think he probably keeps his cool when he's talking with Harry, but I got to imagine that thing has got a little heated in that conversation because had Snape continued with those lessons, who knows what may have ended up happening. I mean, I guess Sna Snape does kind of like save face a little bit by 
what he does at the end of the book with you know alerting the order but yeah he he drops the ball Okay, this next one comes from Emma. It always frustrates me that it was never made public knowledge that we are aware of that it was Umbridge who sent the Dementors to Little Winging. She just admits it and it's never discussed again. Does Harry tell people? Should that not be a pretty serious offense? Always annoyed me as when I first read the book, the whole time I was wondering who sent the Dementors. Why were they there? Then we find out and it seems very anticlimactic. I agree with this, and I can see it going one of two ways. Either Harry told people there was a huge outrage and Umbridge was fired, but the fall of the government and rise of fascism meant that she was a perfect tool and she was rehired to be the character we see in book seven, or the information either never came out or was buried as a result of Umbridge's uh, trauma Mm. and attack that happened to her, and she was allowed to quietly slip down it's like getting a presidential pardon right like you did a crime you did a crime everybody agrees was a crime but uh, they're gonna go easy on you because a lot has just been happening lately guys right yeah no now that this question comes up i think a lot was able to to slide in terms of how umbridge managed hogwarts for for the fifth year and that's not even taking into account what she does at the beginning of book five, which in and of itself should warrant her going to Azkaban. I think the practices that she instituted certainly should have been reviewed and there should have been further action taken. And I know Fudge falls from power sort of at the end of book five, beginning of book six, but you know she instituted some practices that were definitely illegal. So where is her punishment for that? This honestly kind of reminds me of the, and I'm not going to use the actual idiom because, you know, not safe for podcast language, but um, the, the idea that in government and bureaucracy crap rises. Um, Mm. I feel like we've all seen this narrative of like (laughs) a really questionable, uh, school principal who then goes on to become like a county superintendent and you're like how the hell did that happen that person was terrible right so this could be a commentary on that oh for sure and, and i know we're talking about umbridge but when you're talking about poop rising i mean think about fudge like his name <laughs> fudge mm. <laughs> <laughs> that just by itself should tell you enough but for Umbridge, yeah, I think there should have been a level of accountability. To your point, Eric, I don't know that in Half-Blood Prince, she's still working for the ministry or I mean, we have to check on that. But yeah, she obviously comes back into power uh, when Pius Thickness takes over and you know, she right. leads sort of the Muggle-Born Registration Commission. So yeah. she finds her way back, but it'd be interesting to know where she is in book six. Yeah, good question. Just recovering, maybe, from everything that happened. She was on a vacation, too. All right. So uh, next up, we thought we would focus in on the most notable new characters that appeared in book five. But we put a little bit of a spin on it. We want to see how these characters translated on screen. So we obviously have our own visions of them and and what they meant. And uh, maybe some really didn't translate at all. But uh, starting with with Umbridge, I think there's no question Amelda Staunton did an amazing job at bringing Mm -hmm. 
Dolores Umbridge to life in a deliciously evil sort of way. <laughs> yes. Um, I will say I do feel a little bad for Imelda, Imelda Staunton because she is absolutely much better looking than Umbridge is described in the book. <laughs> I hope she didn't read too much into that casting. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we want you to play this, quote, toad-faced woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Go>. <laughs> no, she was perfect, though. She was she was absolutely perfect. Totally. Her portrayal was spot on. Mm-hmm. Totally. And and I think we're going to say that probably, at least for the next two characters, uh, we get introduced uh, to Bellatrix Lestrange, played by Helena Bonham Carter, who does evil probably just as well as anybody out there. Mm-hmm. And- she definitely hit it right on the mark with sort of the crazed personality and just overall evil nature. I killed Sirius Black! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was exactly like what you read about in the books as far as the years spent in Azkaban kind of making you, uh, you're missing a few, what's the word? In, in your head, you're, you're just missing a few screws, you're a few screws loose as a result of being in Azkaban. And that's exactly translated to screen by that casting. Yeah. I have to say, honestly, and I think I've mentioned this before, but Helena Bottom Carter's portrayal actually fills some gaps for me in terms of Bellatrix's character. It wasn't until we did chapter by chapter for this book that I realized we really don't get a lot of time with Bellatrix. That's true. And her character, not to, not to sit here and say like it was poorly written or that it was, you know, unintentionally made two dimensional, but like we just didn't get a ton of time with her. So there wasn't a lot to draw from. And the fact that Helena Bottom Carter did what she did. And I think, you know, she also had the benefit of, I don't know if she read the books, if she read ahead to get some inspiration for Bellatrix's mm. character, but her portrayal just really felt so much larger in the movie than it did in the book. Yeah. I, I think it would be fair to call Bellatrix sort of a flat or one note character in the books. I just think it's every time you see her, she's bragging about how close she and the Dark Lord are. And she's defending the Dark Lord's honor, even though nobody's asking her oh, to. Oh, they're close. That's about it. Yeah. But that's about it. So. Yep. And then, of course, everyone's favorite. Luna Lovegood, played by Ivana Lynch. And and I really think these first three, I, I know we always talk about, well, what was your book version of the character versus like what you ended up seeing on screen? But these three for me are are just so close. Mm-hmm. They're they're yeah. almost identical. And I know Ivana has talked at length about just how she felt so connected to the character of Luna. Ivana Lynch's portrayal was just shockingly good. I mean, she embodies Luna. That's the thing about it. She is Luna. <laughs> she crafts her own earrings for <laughs> Luna, just like Luna would. Like, it's amazing. Absolutely. And, and and it's amazing, actually, that we're having this conversation because for as different as book five is from movie five, like, I, like, I would say they just trim the fat a little bit. But, you know, movie five for how short it is and adapting it from the biggest and longest Harry Potter book, a lot could have been damaged or a lot could have been mishandled. But every one of these new characters that we're talking about in the movie, they shine real brightly. Like, 
I just want to take a moment to appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And Luna, you know, I think for a character like Luna, they so easily could have gone the wrong direction with her. Like Hmm. they could have turned her into comic relief. Oh, yeah. You know, and they didn't. And I really appreciate that. And I think, I mean, it's a testament to Ivana Lynch being such a fan and connecting so deeply with the source material that brought Luna to life. She probably wouldn't have let them change Luna. She would have walked out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I'm thinking about, too, the way the screenwriting does what the book does and having that scene with her shoes at the end, you know, that Harry and her in the the forest with the Thestrals, too, Mm -hmm. that they are really connecting on that level. I like it. And then a couple of members of the Order... Tonks, we see for the first time uh, at the very beginning of this book, and then also in the movie, and the same for Kingsley. Any thoughts there? I know, obviously, Natalia Tena, people seem to love her portrayal of Tonks. Yeah, I, I having just said what I said about all these characters standing out, I would will say that Tonks's adaptation in the movie version could have afforded to be more quirky, could have afforded to be a little bit more book-like. There is actually a lot to the Tonks character in order that that kind of does, I think, fall away. Yeah, they they don't really color her character as much as we got in the books. Like, but I think constantly. the character, I think, I think the casting is good. Yeah, the but, casting was yeah. fine. But like, I could yeah. have done with a bit more of like her clumsiness and tripping over things. And <laughs> mm-hmm. her, she was also, I mean, she's not that much older than Harry. So she was able to relate to him on a level that some of the other members of the order couldn't. And it would have been nice to see some of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then <clears throat> George Harris as, as Kingsley, I, I mean, he has the one really good moment um, in, in Dumbledore's office when he, he takes the line actually from Phineas Nigelis black and, and says, you know, you got to admit Dumbledore's got style. Um, very well delivered, but I don't think we don't see a whole lot more of him. I know he pops up at the the battle at the end, but yeah, and, and not really a major role in much of the rest of the series. And then just to wrap up, um, you know, we got actually two creature introductions: creature and then Grop as well, which I forgot to include here. But as far as translating on screen, I've always felt like the house elves were were underserved. Uh, honestly, like. We don't see either of them in the final battle, which they both show up in Deathly Hallows. Uh, I know Creature comes in in part one, but... Just think of how expensive it would have been oh, to get them it. animated. Oh, That's, and think of what it would have done that to That seriously the may have been what it came down to. Yeah. Of course it was, but this is your chance. Like, do it up. You know? <laughs> do it up. Why last not? chance. You already yeah, split no, it twice. Right. I mean, or you split it in half, like at least yeah. right. have creature running in with a frying pan leading the house house from the kitchen <laughs> or, you know, Grop. You yeah. had all those other giants there. You could have put Grop in there. Well, creature was almost cut from book five and it was JK Rowling's insistence, as I recall, yep. that he yeah, that's right. put back in. So, so with creature, I'm glad they have him. Grop, I, and I, I think the casting is fine. The CGI is fine i love the little bicycle ringer the little bell scene that that makes me laugh but i don't know why he's in the movie at all like yeah he he doesn't do anything for the movie honestly exactly but grop's existence in the book is questionable as far as i'm concerned it's very not well justified in the book except for being part of hagrid's journey and it's not in the movie either 
or it's not justified. Okay, let's move on to favorite moment now. Moment, singular. We're each picking one moment, our all-time favorite from Order of the Phoenix. This is going to sound dark, but for me, it's Umbridge's detentions. For the shock value (laughs) and Harry's... Hear me out. For the shock value and Harry's strength. Not giving Umbridge what she wanted in these scenes. She wanted him to cry out in pain and be like, I'm so sorry. This is awful. This is the worst. But Harry powered through and uh, it really annoyed Umbridge inside. So I just really loved the scene. I'm I'm sick. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I like you're allowed to like what you like. Right. And I think that my biggest moment is very small and wouldn't amount to much in terms of anybody else's list. But the very fact that in the beginning of the book, Harry is rescuing his cousin. He's out with his cousin. He's he's getting angry. He's pretty much losing control. But then an outside force comes. The Dementors come and he has to all of a sudden he he, flips a switch flips. And he's like, no, I've got to protect my cousin. And he doesn't even have the ability to explain what switched or what shifted. But there's that gut instinct. It's a hell of a way to open a book. And especially with the reveal shortly thereafter about Mrs. Fig, like there was nothing wrong with the way book five opens. I think it's it's really setting up perfectly. And Harry's hero problem, which becomes a problem at the end of the book, is not a problem in the start of the book. He's wonderful even to his bad cousin. Uh, I really enjoyed the the Weasley twins escape from Hogwarts and everything that went along with it, the defiance of umbrage and the fact that it really starts to shift the tone in the school i think the kids become much more rebellious after this even the professors their refusal to assist umbrage in any way with the cleanup uh peeves and and his involvement and uh yeah it was it's just the appropriate send-off uh for the weasley twins before they head over to uh to diagon alley i really enjoyed the whole sequence of the book that was the summer that took place at Grimald Place. But I specifically wanted to highlight the scene in which Harry and Sirius are looking at the Black family tree. This was Mm. really enlightening because we learn more about prominent wizarding families and how they're interrelated. Um, We also get some context about the ones who've been blasted off the Black family tree um, for being blood traitors, according to Mrs. Black. But Harry and Sirius have this really great moment um, where they're talking about good versus evil. And Sirius does a great job of highlighting how the world is not separated into good people and death eaters. And I just think that's a really good lesson to carry forward in general. People are not all good or all bad. There are shades of gray in everyone. And, you know, we can find ourselves in situations like the one Sirius talks about where his parents themselves weren't actually Death Eaters, but they thought the Death Eaters had the right idea. I think that's very prominent considering like where we are globally right now. Um, I just, (laughs) I think it's a really important lesson for readers to carry forward okay now let's rename the book my title for the book i two of us went took a serious path and the other two i think took a joking path i have a joke i know i'll I'll, I'll throw in a joke for you as well make you feel okay cool (laughs) 
So mine is like a mix of serious and joking. Um, Harry Potter and the assortment of answers and absences. Oh, okay. Nice. I went with Harry Potter and the feeling you get when you know something bad is about to happen, but you have no idea how you're supposed to prevent it. Eric, I don't think that would fit on a cover. <laughs> I don't know. Like Mary Grant, know. They, they did fit like what will happen in Harry Potter 7, who lives, who dies, who falls in love, <laughs> and how the adventure finally ends. <laughs> so I think that's comparable. That was that's, still in New York Times. It, 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 well, yeah, no, I was going to say, Eric, that's probably where you drew your inspiration, right? For that. Oh, of course. I was just going after the book Andrew wrote. Yeah. Um, for the long title. The first one I went with, I went for marketability. Uh, what I thought would sell uh, Harry Potter and the Department of Mysteries. I feel like that could have easily been a substitute title. Yeah, they really should have called it that. The sales of this book were terrible. So you're right. <laughs> but I feel like you always need a, well, not it's not in every case, but like I thought back to like Chamber of, Prisoner of, Goblet of, Order of, like she, she had right. a trend. Um, but I, I thought about using Harry Potter and... Um, the failings of old men. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I just, that doesn't have the same, like, it's not appeal. very sexy. It's old no, men. I say, yeah. I was going to say sex appeal, but uh, so I'm glad you said that. <laughs> it's funny that you had an alternate version because <laughs> I was thinking that I would rename it as a joke, Neville Longbottom, and it could have been me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would have been terrible for marketing. <laughs> but no, my, my actual submission is Harry Potter and the Secret Door. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. You and Micah kind of went in a yeah. similar direction. If you have any feedback about today's discussion, send it on in, mugglecast.gmail.com, or use the contact form on mugglecast.com, or send us a voice memo. You can do that by recording a voice memo in your phone and then sending it to mugglecast.gmail.com, or just do it the old-fashioned way. Call us, 1-920-3-MUGGLE. That's 1-920-368-4453. Looking ahead... Next week, we will be joined by one of the writers of MuggleNet's latest book, The Unofficial Harry Potter Character Compendium. It is MuggleNet's ultimate guide to who's who in the Wizarding World. Speaking of long titles, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we will discuss what it's like to put together a big book like this and what new information they learned that surprised them. I'm looking forward to discussing the development of a book like this, gathering all this information. How do you do that? So we'll talk about that. And in two weeks, we are going to put a cap on chapter by chapter by discussing the best chapters of the Harry Potter series, period. Amazing. The best chapters ever. This That episode is 15 years in the making. Yeah, really. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And I think an episode we'll look back on when we want to revisit the best chapters in the Harry Potter series. So look forward to those discussions in the weeks ahead. It's time now for Quizage. Last week's question was multiple choice. How many times does the word Grimm appear in all of Book 5, including in Grimmauld Place? Was it A, 50 to 79 times, B, 80 to 119 times, C, 120 to 149 times, or D, in excess of 150 times? You guys... Four people guessed. Four people even dared to play Quizits <laughs> this. <laughs> so shout out to all four who played Juliana, Sup Sarah, Jeff Skellington, and Reese Without a Spoon. The correct answer, the word Grim, including in Grimald Place, appears 86 times. Wow. The correct answer is B. So that's more than twice per chapter. 
in Order of the Phoenix. Lots of grims here and there. Everything is grim. <laughs> so, yeah, I just can't believe that there's only four submissions. <laughs> wow. So Don't do multiple choice. I question. think that's the tough answer. Question. Well, it's tough. Yeah, that too. I, I did do multiple choice, which was supposed to make it easier, but. Yeah, because who was going to guess the exact number of beans? Yeah, what in the a jar? bunch of lazy people! They can't just tweet A, C, D. Wow. Hey, okay, wow. I'm cutting that out. That's wow. mean. Okay, so ever no that that I, I what Micah just said rings true because here is a call to action. Then for this week, <laughs> I got a sort of a, a vague question, but it's important. Okay, it does have an answer. There's one answer that I'm looking for. Next week's question is: What do Jamie Parker? Jim Dale and Ivana Lynch all have in common besides Harry Potter. Hmm. That's tough. Oh. Yeah. Without, without They're all different ages. Without chapters to do, like Quizich is getting <laughs> weird, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so you play Quizich on Twitter, tweet us the answer and hashtag use hashtag Quizich. Also follow us there. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook. And Instagram, follow us to get Throwback Thursday clips, new episode previews, the latest news, our favorite Harry Potter memes from around the internet, and a whole lot more. Also, we would love if you joined our community of listeners today at patreon.com slash mugglecast. If you like what we do, we'd love your support on Patreon because it keeps the show going. And to thank you, you will receive some magical benefits in return, including a personalized video thank you message from one of the four of us, our twice-monthly bonus MuggleCast installments, the ability to listen live as we record, and so much more. Again, that's patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Thanks in advance for your support. We will see you next week. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, Bye. everybody. Bye. Bye.